it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we go to Barrel and chat with Cameron James from the Southern Highlands Brewery. I'll be honest, Southern Highlands hadn't really featured on our radar here at Brews News, apart from being a thriving little brewery in a regional centre. What put it on the map for us was an email from Cameron as a co-owner and brewer, sharing his experiences going from working in hydrography, I had to look that up, to IT, to brewing via home brewing and then going pro when someone enjoyed his beer so much they stumped up the money to get him started. It sounded like the sort of story we love here at Beer as a Conversation, so I thought it would be a good one to share, and it was, and I hope you'll agree. Cameron James, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you very much for what we do get um, people sort of reaching out to say, look, I'd love to be on, on on the podcast, but, you know, having read the email that you have sent, you pretty much know what we're about uh, from the podcast. So, you know, let's let's uh, start with uh, who is Cameron James? A uh, third-generation small-town boy who's uh, sort of travelled around the world but always stayed here, I suppose. And, um, well, we now thought nearly 49 years old and um, I think uh, – Started brewing as a home brewer back in the early 90s by chance, actually. Well, well let's talk about when you say you're a third-generation small-town boy. Tell us about the small town. Uh, Barrel. So, um, hour and a bit out of Sydney and hour and three-quarters from Canberra. Home of, of Don Bradman. Know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, everybody <laughs> that's about all I know. For the Don, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, not not such a small town anymore. I think the, the region's probably uh, 40,000, something like that. Okay, so yeah, it's not a small town, but you. So you grew up in Barrel. Obviously, you flagged that you got into home brewing. But what did what did you do when you left school? You know, uh, what was what was your first career or careers? Uh... Yeah, so um, I I joined uh, Sydney Water as a trainee hydrographer out of high school. So hydrography is like the um, the monitoring of the waterways and rainfall, evaporation, water quality, water quantity, that kind of stuff. And I stuck with that for about um, 16 years and then moved into IT, still for Sydney Water. And uh, I was the manager of a software system, which the hydrographers, my prior job, um, use. Stayed there for another 12, I think, until we uh, decided to go full-time with the brewery. That's that's the, the short story. Okay, so you've jumped, um, made a bit of a, a leap there. Did you leave um, hydrography to become a commercial brewer, or was you know was there a bit of a transition? Yeah, there was a little transition. So you know, it was hydrography, and then IT, and then um, towards the end of my career with Sydney Water, I uh, we started the brewery part time. So uh, I went to I went to part time hours with Sydney Water and. We did the brewery a couple of days a week and just, you know, didn't take a wager and they just tested the market, see if um, people liked the beer and wanted to put us on. And, <laughs> um, yeah, we started with a 200-litre uh, system, a little um, brown so that was uh, – quickly outgrew that and uh, went to a 500 not long after and sort of – oh, we played around on that for a few years, I guess, still sort of part-time and then we uh, – decided that we would open our own venue and upgrade the system and um, we both sort of spent 40 hours plus a week on the brewery. What got you into home brewing? Was it, did, did you have a background in science? Do you need a degree to be a hydrographer? Uh, it, it's a it's qualification. It's not a, it's not a university degree. It was okay. through TAFE, water resources. Hydrography definitely helped being a brewer for sure because we did a lot of water chemistry and hydrography. But uh, I got into home brewing, you know, I said earlier by chance, as my, my first mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she uh, just gave me a home brew kit for Christmas one year. And, uh, you know, I, I just 
followed the instructions on the tin and and it actually came out pretty good and and uh, I was hooked. But um, the hobby stayed and the mother-in-law didn't. Uh, well, does she take any credit for your career? Oh yeah, I think so. She does a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean, lovely lady, still see her. Um, there's there's no no problem. But um, I think she's quietly. Uh, Little smug about it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it a, the standard Cooper's kit, so a kit and kilo style thing? Yeah, it, it was a Wanda draft kit. I remember. Um, I don't know that Wanda exists anymore, but uh, yeah, it was basically a kit and kilo. Yeah. And and what was the attraction of the making beer for it for you? I appreciated the process. I liked the science of it, and the the end result was quite palatable. So. I kept going. Um, there's not much else to it, really. But having, you know, what do I have? Thirty long necks of the, in a couple of weeks' time, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty good. So uh, I, I just went again and again, and of course, you know, started experimenting and um, made some terrible stuff, and um, you know, just then I had the desire to to learn how to do it properly. So what steps did you take in doing it properly? Did you, you know, did you just sort of hang around and pester the local homebrew shop owner and, you know, sort of pick things up informally or did you go off and get some uh, degrees? Yeah, no, I did it all informally. Um, the, the homebrew shop in, in Barrel at the time was um, run by a guy who was also a full-time truckie. So the shop was rarely open and, oh, and when okay. it was, it was usually one of his kids just standing at the, the cash register, you know, didn't really know anything about it, but... Um, and there was no internet back then. You didn't have well, there there was, I guess, but there was no. It wasn't a thing that everybody had in the house. So it was. Uh, I had to just ask people, like old guys that were brewing, and and then I spent a lot of time at the library and and uh, just getting some books, and then asking them to get others in for me. I'm always perplexed by people who love home brewing, um, but then decide. Did it something that they want to do day in day out? You know, you know, you don't get people who love you know just having a couple of um, you know veggie patch you know plants in the veggie patch out the back suddenly deciding to become farmers at the same rate that you do get mm. home brewers deciding to uh, open a brewery. What was the you know what was the the thought process that led you to uh, to go pro there? Well, I guess I didn't really think I would. Um, you know, every every sort of home brewer thinks how it has the, the romance of it. But um, I kind of I, – I looked at it a little bit before and, and excise was different in those days. There was a minimum spend and, um, you know, you needed a decent kit and all the rest of it. And I just knew that it was beyond me. Uh, and so I was still just, you know, making – I actually um, enjoyed making it more than drinking it really. Um, and so I had uh, just a, a huge stockpile of these bottles. And um, <clears throat> so then one of my mates said, I just said, what am I going to do with them all? And he just said, well, let's have an Oktoberfest. And so uh, I just uh, invited a heap of friends around and, and partners and um, that became an annual event for years and years. And uh, that was probably, you know, as, far, as much as I thought it would, as, as far as I thought it would go. And then uh, uh, the the guy who I'm currently in business with, he um, he he moved to town. So he's uh, his name is Ben, and I sometimes call him Tombs in this. But uh, he was sort of from yeah, he went to school in Sydney, and then he went off to London and Dubai, and he was sort of corporate finance. And uh, he moved to the Highlands probably ten or twelve years ago, and now I suppose, and I just met him through rugby. And uh, so he came to my parties a couple of years in a row, and then out of the blue one day he rang me and said do I want to start a brewery and you know I'd, I like a lot of guys who make a half decent beer at home you know all their mates have told them before you could sell this and you know you, you've got to start a brewery and all this and I knew it just it was impossible but then I didn't really know um, that much about Ben at the time and I just said oh yeah you've got to spend a million bucks and he said yes <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I had to pull over I was like are you serious what <laughs> because um, I was in the car at the time and uh, he said, yeah, he was, um, you know, he'd sort of got out of the the finance world and, and you know, he was, he had uh, 30,000 employees in Dubai and he was just sort of done with that kind of work and he was looking for something else to do. And 
he, he like I said, he'd been a couple of times and he liked the, the homemade stuff and he thought, well, let's have a crack at turning it into a business. So it wasn't really me that started it. Um, it was him, yeah. Do you think, but for that approach, you would have been interested in, you know, going professional and opening a brewery? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that's. I guess it's it's a distant dream, but once you start doing the numbers and, you know, looking at um, zonings and um, all the other stuff that goes with it, you know, trade waste and everything that uh, it's, it's, it's beyond most people, I suppose. Otherwise, there'd be a million breweries, wouldn't there? <laughs> Some people would argue that there are. Yeah, well, <laughs> very small ones. But, uh, you know, it just if every home brewer could 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 start a brewery, then you know, it probably would be a disaster as well. But um, it's it's I just sort of was realistic about it and knew that by myself, you know, I had other commitments with you know mortgages and kids and whatever, and wasn't probably worth the risk on my own. Hmm. I'm intrigued. So a guy that you knew, you know, semi-socially, it sounds like you didn't know a lot about it, suddenly, you know, says, yes, I've got the money to bankroll this business. Um, you know, I would imagine, in fact, I don't imagine, I know that there have been situations in the past where the dream of the the, the brewery unites people um, and sometimes the details involved in putting it together, I've forgotten about chasing that dream. How did you two formalise the uh, you know, agreement and did you sort of sit down and you know, have, have written agreements all coming together or was it very much a, uh, a handshake sort of thing? Uh, no, it was fairly formal. We actually um, wrote a business case, uh, even though it was going to be self-funded, wrote a business case and for a brew pub and then you know, we, we really went, um, through it with a fine tooth comb and and dropped the idea for about a year. So the, the first time he rang me was probably uh, I don't know now sort of eight years ago, and and it took us probably two years until we actually made our first beer because we'd uh, you know we'd skinned the business plan you know left right and back and forward and, and decided that it was probably not something that you know we could do, and that was. Uh, that idea was to have a, a brew pub, you know, and then he actually has a farm which has a huge barn on it. And then we did, so that's why I sort of came up again. We sort of, sort of tossing the ideas around again and we decided why don't we do a close to the public production only brewery in the barn. And uh, that way there was, you know, we've got no loan, no rent, you know, really, really, really low risk and, and we'd support a, a smallish system and, my question, only question to him was, well, what are we going to do with this if uh, if it if it doesn't work? And he said, well, we've got a pretty good home brew kit. <laughs> so um, I think that investment was around the thirty thousand mark to get going, and uh, soon showed that you know there was there was a real business there. Okay, so you said that you went part time initially. It was a you know testing the waters, towing the water sort of thing. Yeah. What was the response in Barrel? Like, was there when you're at the footy club, you know, did they have craft beers on? Was there a craft beer bar in the area, or was it make it and then trying to sell it? Well, we've, you know, like I said, being third generation, I pretty much knew everybody who I could ask, and they all sort of gave us a crack. And it, then they asked for it again and said it was a hit. Can we let's get more? Let's get more until we suddenly we said we can't make it fast enough with what we have. And so that, that's when we went the upgrade to, to only still only the 500 litres at that time. And uh, that sort of kept us in check with, um, the, you know, the sort of four or five pubs that we had around the area. And then, you know, from there, other pubs in Sydney start asking about it. And then he, because uh, Ben is a um, Sydney uh, schoolboy, he's got heaps of mates in the pub industry in Sydney and just talking to them and they'd be like, yeah, come on then, we've got a free tap, we're, you know, and we'd go on there and suddenly we were running out of beer with 500 litres and uh, – but still it wasn't that um, economic well, – you know, it wasn't that – it wasn't paying very well because, uh, you know, you're not doing enough kegs per run and um, 
you know, it was just wholesale money. And so that's when we said, you know, why don't we have a real red hot go at this? And we opened a tap house. So it's, we still have the brewery on the farm and we have a venue in town. And uh, we opened there with sort of, what we do nine taps and, and upgrade the brewery to, to 20 hex and got a whole heap of tanks and brights and still sometimes I feel like we don't have enough. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we quite often ask to do contract brewing now and, um, you know, that, yeah, it, it, I think every brewer's got the same problem when they just say they don't have enough space, but um, we're probably at a pretty good point right now. It, it, it sounds like you had contacts, but yeah. was there, you know, I've been to a lot of um, similar-sized country towns where, you know, Great Northern um, is the beer that, that the people are wanting. Was there, like, a, an appreciation of craft yeah, beer, or did they just drink it because, oh, well, you know, we, we've got to drink Cameron's beer? Uh, um, there might have been a little bit of uh, both, but especially the rugby club because, um, as fate would have it, I was the licensee at the time. So we got, <laughs> so, <laughs> we got three taps on there straight away. But um, that was just a, you know every second Saturday during winter type of thing. Um, but Barrel in the Southern Highlands in general is is kind of a um, I don't know how to say this without sounding a bit a bit of a wanker, but um, it's a bit more it's a bit posh I suppose, and um, people seem to think that they like the finer things and um, yeah, craft beer is real popular. And I guess local helps. Well, for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, that that you know, drink local push. We were sort of came in at the right time, I guess, and and all the stuff about going independent and um, you know, slow food and and all these kinds of um, you know, knowing knowing where things are made um, was all sort of starting to boil up at the same time. It, it's interesting you say because obviously in a fairly small community where. Um, you're known, as you said, um, and you know, no one's going to mistake you for being anything other than local or independent. I'd imagine. Um, how important is it that you're a member of the IBA, for example, having that seal on the logo, or you know, the the, the seal on the can, or you know, is, is that just something that you have in addition to the fact that um, you know? Do, do you need that? Um, or I don't know. Actually, that's a good question. I haven't thought thought too too much about that but um i think we're we're in it to support it as much as it as it's good for our brand i think um you know we like to you know to support australian first and foremost i suppose and then independent uh as, on top of that but um i don't think well i'm not getting any feedback from people saying um i bought your beer at the bottle shop because it's independent um, normally, I bought it because it's from here. Mm. Mm. Do Do you think if uh, you know, just say for example, it had been you know the charming squire um, version, or you know, like like Kosciuszko Pale Ale, um, which has a five hundred liter brewery um, up at Cosy, but then it comes in bulk out of uh, malt travel. Do you think that would have the same? impact in, in in barrel or is it the fact that it's you know our boy cameron yeah i don't know actually it's it's um i think it would have the same impact i'm not sure uh, brands a lot of breweries are really good at um creating the illusion of local aren't they but that doesn't bother me either so if if we were going so well that we needed to um you know get a, a big brewery to contract brew some of our beer i don't think that is detrimental to the brand. I think that's okay. Is there much competition um, for for taps, uh, you know, in, in barrel? You know, since you've uh, grown fairly quickly, are you finding you know other regional sales reps are starting to knock on the door and you know create a bit of competition for you? Yeah, they do. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was easier before, and uh, but now you know. So you've got the the carton and line guys making it ever. Uh, it's tougher, well, tougher than it ever was, I suppose. And then, um, you know, you've got some the guys, the, the two big ones in Canberra, sort of pushing into this region. And then there's a couple of guys down in Wollongong that are coming up, but I like that as well. And and the truth is, there's people are just wanting to try the next new beer, and you 
even though we we've got some permanent taps at pubs we still have to change those around now and then but uh there are other stuff you know the this there's beers from you know Sydney, Canberra, Wollongong, and and further afield showing up all the time. <laughs> and how do you deal with that? Can you play the local card, or you know, do you, do you have to sort of uh, play on? You know, mate, do you remember the time we were in the uh, sort of under 18s together? You know, to, to the yeah. bottle shop manager, or what's the strategy? Yeah, you'd be surprised that 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 old you know we go way back thing doesn't work. 100% of the time because business is business and they've got to do what's right for their, their pub or, or restaurant or whatever it is and, and they know that what their locals want and, it, you know, as much as we can go as far back, um, it doesn't really matter sometimes. Um, they might give us one once in a while or if they've got a special event, you know, we'll get a tap. But um, and that's okay too. That's that that's all right. We have our own venue you know, in, in town, which is extremely popular. So, you know, we, we know that we're not going off tap there. <laughs> and uh, the other ones that we pick up around the place are good. But, yeah, there's not much you can do about it. You can't worry about it anymore. It's it's We don't go knocking on doors too much. It's more of a, uh, you know, business connections that sort of, you know, leads rather than, you know, I think the days are gone of just tapping on the door of a publican's place and saying, hey, Cameron from Southern Highlands Brewing, how about it? Um, <laughs> it just doesn't work, you know. Well, mate, tell us about how long after you got started in the brewing did you open the Southern Highlands? Uh, is it the tap house or is it the um, restaurant? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's um, actually is a restaurant. So we pair food with beer rather than you know a lot of everyone's been pairing uh, food and wine forever, but we're doing a food and and beer type of menu mm-hmm. um, and it's you know it's uh it's a bit classier than your standard kind of um food truck stuff or pub bear stuff it's it's a proper destination for foodies as well and so that's that's where we're aiming that but uh we were probably i don't know two or three years in when we decided we needed to find our own venue just to sort of well, for two reasons, we sort of created a demand for our own product and a, a stable set of taps. Talk me through that. I mean, I, I'm always intrigued um, at people who, you know, go from another industry, start brewing, open a brewery. Oh, mate, hospitality can't be that hard. Get in and and, and do that. What's been the learning, um, you know, curve like for you to to go through all of these things? You know, how. Running a, I, I'm always amazed when people say, um, actually, I should say, I'm not amazed when people are, are surprised at how hard running a hospitality venue is. Well, you know, they think it's a, a, a pretty easy task. Well, at school and and um, yeah, with the rugby club and whatever, I've sort of always had a um, a bit of a you know, part time or casual jobs in in pubs. And then um, I've become a bit of a beer tourist, so um, my wife and I would, would pretty much uh, every year we'd go and see somewhere for a holiday, and and it would there would always be um, you know breweries and brew pubs on on the uh, agenda, and so I spent a long time kind of studying it without really knowing, and I just used to watch how it worked and and what did and work what was good what was average you know how they did their service was it you know whether they had waiters and waitresses and or whether it was sort of you know pay yourself and pick it up yourself and all this kind of stuff and so I had a fair idea of um what what worked elsewhere and then just putting it with with my local region that you know I've grown up in and and seen restaurants come and go and what hasn't hasn't worked it probably we had a fair, fairly idea of how to make it, fairly good idea of how to make it work, but there was still, of course, I'd never really been an owner and had to manage that many staff. Uh, mind you, I don't do it by myself, but um, the uh, yeah personalities and, and different needs of different people was probably the biggest learning curve. Trying to find people that were passionate enough to care enough how we wanted it done that was a challenge, but um, I think we've 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 done it now we've got we've got a really good crew we've got about 20 25 employees something like that 
and um, they're all great. So we're, we're in a really good spot right now. And, and how hands-on are you? Because one of the things that I constantly hear from people about restaurants, and particularly professional restaurateurs, is that they just drive the cost of goods sold. You know, you, you need to look at what the cost of the plate is that comes out in, in, into the restaurant, and you can't necessarily always leave that to chefs because no. chefs, chefs aren't looking at the value of the plate. They're looking at, you know, the eating quality and, and, and things like that. And, and that's a hard lesson for a lot of, you know, nouveau restaurateurs. Yeah, well, um, a lot of Ben skills just um, transferred to that. It's just, uh, you know, different products, really. Um, when they were in Dubai doing, you know, this, in this, they were sort of um, not service industry like hospitality, but servicing whatever needed to be done, like security or you know, infrastructure, all this kind of stuff. It was really just, um, you know, what's the product, how much does it cost, how much to do it, yeah, you know, and, and that's just right down his alley. Um, and everybody just uh, ha- happy to let him have it, actually. But he loved it, and um, and he, he would know exactly how much stock we've got on hand and, and how much everything costs. And um, you know, I'd leave the the um, the beer and the fun to me. Really, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I go in on a Friday night and, and pull beers and, and chat to beer lovers and and. Uh, you know, he he looks after the books and, and the business, so it's, it works well, if you ask me. But that's a big call as well. Like, if you're brewing, you know, a couple of days a week and sort of running a brewery is a pretty much full-time job, and then having to do the hospitality management side of it, it, it sounds like you've, uh, you know, got a fairly full dance card. Yeah, putting in a few hours. Um, managed to get most weekends off, though. So it's... Um, We've got some, as I said before, we've got a lot of good staff that we trust to get it right. And, uh, you yeah, know, the managers, she's like a, a, a bull at a gate, making sure everything runs well and, you know, we maximise income on, on tables. And um, I guess you just, it takes a while, but you get the right people and you can relax a little. Just looking at your your, your beer range, um, like your, your your core range is what I would regard as a classic um, brew pub range. You've got a blonde, um, you've got a lager, you've got an American pale ale, two American pale ales. Um, looking at it, the original and then the uh, boing boing picnic ale. Um, uh, bong bong, yeah. Bong oh, bong, 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 sorry. A, uh, it's a mid strength, yeah. So the bong bong is a um, an area here where there's an annual. Uh, picnic race and yep. um you know we managed to wrangle the rights to the naming and and made the mid-strength beer for the for the event okay no uh, so mid, mid-strength stage. giddy up okay see that so you've got, yeah. you've got the uh, mid-strength and the full-strength pale ale yeah yeah uh celtic red um an indian yeah. pale ale that i can actually see through um unusually for a ipa these days and a porter which is very much a classic uh range yeah are, are you mixing it up with iced vovo beers or anything like never. that for the locals <laughs> never um <laughs> and even, yeah i um well the highlands is very traditional and i guess um so am i and and um i've just i have made a couple of hazies and neepers and things but i just don't I just don't feel right. <laughs> it's because uh, um, you know I've I've grown up on crystal clear beer, and and um, even though I appreciate yeah the 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 craft beer now and the full of flavours and all all the um, fun you can have making them, I still like the the appearance as much as the flavour, and uh, I want to have traditional beers that look how they should, I guess. But we do have a, uh, a seasonal tap that we muck around with and do some one-off beers and, um, you know, play with those kinds of things. And like I said, we've put a hazy on it and a neeper. And, you know, you do all these things, but still our lager outsells everything. Because it's it's just a classic, it's what people want or? I think so, yeah. I mean, our, our um, customer base is probably a little more mature than, than a lot of breweries get, I suppose. And... Uh, they might have the same kind of thinking that I do that, you know, beer shouldn't be murky or whatever. But but having said that, you know, Cooper's was my favourite beer growing up. So um, I'm not adverse to it. I just, I'm just, I guess I just uh, prefer uh, something that really appears bright in the glass 
you're preaching to the choir here, but um, then again, you know, the the number of brewers who I speak to that are in in more metropolitan markets, whilst they might agree privately, um, you know, publicly they see their job as making beer that people want to drink and the people want to drink in their area. And uh, I, I guess if that's where how you feel, you're lucky that you're in a, in, in a um, city that feels the same way. Yeah, I think so. Um, so we're, we're quite touristy here as well. And uh, again, I think a little more mature and possibly, uh, you know, I don't know, old fashioned maybe that's probably an insult to some of them, but uh, <laughs> they, uh, even, even when we put on something a bit weird, um, it just doesn't seem to sell as well. The people will all come in and try it, but then they straight away go back to one of the classics that they know and love. Which is, you know, what you like to see as a brewer, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, we've um, probably didn't have enough taps. Nine taps is probably not enough to, to have a diverse range because you, you sort of, I don't know what to bump off. They're, they're all quite... Um, popular at their own times of year especially the darker ones in winter because it's bitterly cold here as well and, and our porter just you know sells out all the time and how so, would you manage making it i guess uh with a little system as well i mean even now how, how much more variety could you produce in your existing system oh we could do a few yeah because um, we've got uh, like a 20 hex system, and which I can actually brew down to 500 liters on, and we've got some 500 tanks, so it's quite flexible like that. I think we're at, uh, what did I say last time? I don't know, 12, yeah, about 12,000 liters of storage. So we can do it if we okay. had had the market for it. Okay, and so with that volume of beer, how much of it's going through your own venue? You know, versus venues in barrel itself, and then sending out more widely. Oh, we'd be around the forty percent would go through the taps at the tap house, and then we'd probably have another forty percent locally, and then twenty percent is um, on tap in Sydney and Canberra, I guess. But yeah, that'd be about right. Plus, we we do canning as well, but um, you know, then they just get shipped off to cold storage in Sydney and I don't know where, where they go after that. <laughs> that, that. That's Ben's job? Yeah, he looks after all that stuff. Well, what are the plans for growth then? Like, I, I, Have you found that nice little happy medium where you, you, you're paying the bills, making enough beer to um, you know keep going what you're doing um, or do you need to grow? Are you looking for growth? Um, I think we can, we've got the ability to go a little further so, and we probably will. Um, but at the moment, it's really, you know, the brewery's pretty much just me and the business has just been. So it might be one of those things where your net profit might not get any better. You can do more work and more beer and pay more people and, you know, who knows. We'll have to sit down and do those numbers and see what it's like. But at the moment, we've been approached by a couple of um, sort of investment groups that want to take our brewery into one of their precincts. And, and have it as an open to the public type thing. So we've been considering that more and more seriously recently. This, this is a property development group sort of thing? Yeah, some guys are doing that and there's, there's – yeah, I probably shouldn't say too much, but um, they're yeah, developers who, who try to get, you know, maybe like a distillery, a brewery and, and you know, a, an eatery and, yep. and kind of – kind of make a make a precinct where there's more than just one reason to visit anything so and a couple of people have sort of approached us with that and you know that's 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 been um that's his part of the business but, um, <laughs> yeah that he would probably that. yeah that's that's something we probably will do it's just a timing issue it, it, look, it's, I understand your reluctance to talk too much about those sorts of things but I can also assure you that if if the number of contacts I get from property development uh, developers is anything to go by, then it's a fairly common thing. You know, I, I, ah, it, fair it, enough. It, it seems to be anyone who's developing these days looks around to see what's hot right now, and beer and you know 
local, you know, once upon a time you had to have a coffee shop or, you know, before then a uh, hot bread kitchen um, as yeah, bakeries yeah, were called and stuff like that. And I think uh, craft beer has become the attractive anchor tenant um, for, for some of these property developers because um, uh, there, there's certainly a lot. Any uh, major redevelopment I've heard about in Brisbane is generally sniffing around for a brewery to go in as well. Oh, okay. I, I didn't realise it was that um, common. I, well, I'm not saying, you know, again, <laughs> that, that's not a uh, backhanded uh, insult. That no, no, you, no. You, no you, not, you're not, not unique, but uh, it, it it certainly seems to be a mainstay of the property development segment at the moment is uh, people want breweries. Yeah, yeah. It's um, And I guess uh, around here there, there aren't many um probably or correctly zoned areas for a brewery, so they're going to have to do a fair bit of work before something like that. So it's going, but um, they're the kinds of people that if they come to us, that makes a whole makes life a whole lot easier. Now, one of the things that struck me in your email, and you know, you sort of uh, mentioned that you'd sort of won uh, medals, um, congratulations uh, on, on on the success your beers have had. But you said you dislike competition, yet you find it a necessary evil. What's, yeah. what's necessary? You know, again, it sounds like you're not having any trouble selling to a to a local audience. People are responding to your beers. What what does a medal add to your beer? It, it's I guess it's a bit of hype. Around the, around the brand, and um, like I didn't even know um, we'd been entered, and uh, then a bottle shop, oh, you know, uh, an hour down the down the road from here, um, put an order in for eighty cartons, and uh, you know, I don't know, well, that, that's interesting. And then that afternoon, we found out that we you know, these medals had come out. We won a gold medal in London, and then someone said, right, well, I want that, and we didn't have them. And then they pulled a whole bunch of our other. Uh, product lines instead, um, whereas, you know, I don't like to do the uh, look at me type of stuff, um, but I've realised, oh, Ben was way ahead of me on this one, but <laughs> I've realised that, um, you know, you sort of have to do it to keep people thinking about you, I suppose, if you if you want to get any of that growth. It, it's interesting that you describe it as hype, though, because I guess – are we talking about hype in the Southern Highlands region or hype on a more national or you know even regional level? Oh, look, um, since since that we're um, we're exporting to Hong Kong now. Okay. So um, there, yeah, someone's heard about it there, and we, we're sending a couple of pallets over there of three different beers, you know. So um, that kind of stuff you wouldn't we would never have even considered doing, I suppose, and and that. I guess those, and then um, after the London um, beer competition, which actually I, I wouldn't mind talking about that one later. I actually like I actually like the design of that competition, and then the Australian Independent Beer Awards, we got a um, a gold medal as well there. And then next thing, someone's saying, "I want your beer in Hong Kong," and we wouldn't have even considered exporting. Didn't wouldn't know where to start, I suppose. And then they found us, and and so we're doing that now as well. Well, let's talk about the, the, the London beer competition and, uh, you know, how did you come to be entered there? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't do it. Um, I Was it something that guess, Ben did? Yeah, yeah, he would have. And he probably, uh, yeah, the people spam your email with something might, might have caught his eye. I really don't know the, the, the whole story. But um, what I do know about the London beer competition is whilst you do have to enter a category – um, that's not wholly and solely what, how your beer is judged. There's also you get I think 50% of the marks go with the quality of the product, and then 25% is on your branding, and another 25% on value. Mm-hmm. And then because um, and those judges are people like importers and Cicero. they're retailers. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah. aware of the competition. Are you now aware that you of those ones? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of yeah. it. Yeah, and so they're really just saying, is this a good beer? Or is this a good lager rather than is this the perfect German Pilsner? And will it sell in market is the other question that they seem yeah, to ask. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so they've said, yeah, um, I guess they liked liked those three components and, and still like the, the product itself. So I kind of like that rather than, um, yeah, being strictly having to adhere to guidelines and, you know, if you're a little bit 
too much bitterness or not enough or something, you just get marked down. And for you know, some beers are just fantastic beers, but they just won't fit a guideline and they won't, you know, get a medal and then they won't get any um, acknowledgement and all this kind of stuff. And, and all those guys that win um, gabs and those kind of things, whilst they're really good beers, I've gone to breweries on the south coast of New South Wales and had just as good, but they'll never, you won't hear about them. Mm. You know, it's um, because, oh, well, the, the reach and the hype and stuff, but, um, you know, these, these guidelines, mate, they say, oh, no, it's, uh, you know, there's too much hops in this one or whatever for, for a certain type of beer. I said, but it's really good. You should, you know, get some feedback on it. And they say, yeah, yeah no, no, it didn't do any good. They've already tried. And that's where um, the endless debate about competitions and what they mean. And, you know, if they're style-driven, you, you, you're basically trying to hit a bullseye. Um, yeah. As opposed to, you know, creating something that people enjoy drinking. That's right, and you've got to give it a label for some reason. Um, they want to know what it is rather than than trying and going, I like it, what is it? That's, again, one of those things that I find endlessly fascinating because I I love that idea of just making beer, um, which sometimes is described as the Belgian way. You know, you sort of make beer and, you know, what is it? Well, what do you want it to be kind of thing? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And or, you know, when consumers go in and they see an endless wall of beer, um in, in you know, the, the bottle shops these days, um, you know, if they know that they like, you know, hazy um, IPA, which is the style du jour, you know, everyone's putting hazy IPA on their beers just because yeah. that's what sells. Um, you know, and it, it, it's one of those great conundrums um, as to how you approach it as a brewer. Yeah. Um, like I say, I, I, I appreciate the whole judging thing but, and, and I know it's sort of it, – it's good. It is good for the breweries that win those things. Um, but I still don't think uh, – what, what, what I'm trying to say is they, you, they get too much credit for it, I suppose, and it's up to someone else's uh, perception of your beer as to how much credit you're getting as a brewer. Mm. Mm, so, um, anyway, I can – I can take them or leave them as far as competitions go, but um, <laughs> the, the revelation was once you um, have your name on a trophy, then suddenly people want to party you. It, well, it certainly had uh, business benefits for you, but I'm I'm yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued yeah. at um, given your background in 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 home brewing and you know starting before the internet, um, you know, and, and the abundance of information that we enjoy now. Have you ever formalised your training? You know. Uh, no, not with brewing. No. So, how have you developed? How have you, you know, to to it's it's no easy task to win a gold medal um, at at the AIBAs. Um, you know, there it is a sign of a of a very good quality beer. Um, how have you developed your your skills um, without the the formal um, you know Ballarat Uni or you know IBD uh, sort of training? Yeah, I guess. Um I, I know a lot of other brewers and um, they might, you know, if they turn up here with some of their beers, we might share some, have a talk about them. But I have to, I have to like what I'm, what I'm making first um, for me to even consider it that it's ready for, you know, to go to market. And we spent a long time getting our core range right and, and having um, some, you know, oh, I guess you'd call them a tasting panel, even though they weren't um, beer judges. Per se, but there were people like uh, coffee people and and chefs and um, say some friends in the kind of the food and beverage world, and you know they were honest enough to say whether they liked them or not and why, um, and then, and we just took it from there I suppose and um, good you learn about good brewing practice from talking to people and reading stuff and if you come across some kind of thing where you you might wonder what's that. I mean, Google can um, just about find the answers to everything now. So, you know, you can – any little quality issue or process issue, someone's already come across it and there's pro-brewer forums and stuff that you can ask questions on. So as far as the formal education goes, um, it's you can probably get most of that information elsewhere now. Would it be fair to say that you lead, lean into the craft – 
side of the craft beer business, not the sort of business end of the craft beer business? You know, your, your sympathies or your sort of personal alignment? Yeah, I think so. It would be fair to say. Given that we're uh, nearly 50 minutes into the chat already, we won't even go down the whole what is craft beer rabbit hole. Um, yeah. But, but we, 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 we did touch on a little bit. So what's next for Southern Highlands uh, Brewing? You know, you, you, you're sending a bit of beer overseas. How's that going, by the way? Like, it, it, is it going down well? Are they repeating the orders or is it a one-off? Um, well, they've repeated the orders, um, but it's, it's still fairly slow. I think... Um, I think uh, our first order landed right in the middle of the Hong Kong riots. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a good or bad thing as far as beer drinking goes. Um, no, it's, 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 it's okay. It's not something that we're pinning any hopes on. It uh, just happened to be, a, um, you know, it, it, they, they pay on time and, and it was a bulk payment. So that's that's always good for gas. <laughs> so, yeah. You can never say no to that. Is it is it a profitable line of business though? I just can imagine the craft beer is quite expensive anyway, and then all of the logistics costs. Is is it something that you would do for profit or for profile? It's not bad actually, because um, you don't pay excise on um, alcohol that's going overseas. Um, so it, there's, um, if we can get the same price as we do um, domestically, then then we've saved a bit there. But uh, I think you'd have to be a lot bigger than us to, to make it one of the first strings in your bow, that's for sure. So um, back to my question. So what is next? Uh, for, for, do you, you know, maybe see a uh, venue-based uh, brew pub um, at, at some stage? or That's probably our um, biggest uh, future goal, I guess. Um, at the moment, yeah, we're just happy going as we're going ends always you know finding new customers and and talking to people and we we host a lot of events at the tap house and beer events i guess and that's probably somewhere where we can we can look to expand without any real you know cost so there's all those things to consider but at the moment um we're we're pretty happy where we are Mate, that's uh, in this industry. Is it rapidly changes? I, I guess that's as uh, much as you can hope for. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and I guess are, are you pleased uh, that you left the uh, work as a uh, sorry hydrologist? Um, it, yeah, I well, I mean the the public service is um, fantastic paying conditions. That's for sure, and flexibility, but. Um, you know, there's 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 a point in your life where you have to bite the bullet and do something that you really want to do. I think, and and it probably comes where you start to, you know, maybe you get debt free or you can't travel anymore or whatever it is. Commuting's killing you, whatever it might be. But um, yeah, I could have done the the easy public servant route and retired early and been quite comfortable. But you know, you always wonder if you could have made a business of your hobby and. Um, we had a crack, and and I'm happy with that choice for sure. <laughs> well, mate, I I'm, I am, take my hat off to you, and uh, all I can say is that I hope to get down to the Southern Highlands very soon, so I can uh, try some of your beers and uh, sort of check out the, uh, the the vibe of the, the local beers down there. Yeah, good. Oh, it'd be um, good to meet you. It's uh, it, it's long overdue, mate. Was there anything else uh, that, that you wanted to to, to say? I was just going to mention um, actually how, how good COVID has been for us um, besides um, package sales. the um, we, we were the first region that's outside of what's considered Greater Sydney. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we didn't have to wear masks in restaurants or pubs or anything like that. But we still had our social distancing rules. But people could have, um, you know, one hour down the freeway and – pretty much you know living like a a normal lifestyle and um the the amount of tourism that came to the highlands during covid was fantastic for everyone um no one knew what was coming but it's been it's been a a godsend if you're if you're actually a religious person but (laughs) (laughs) and and, and had you been trouble had it hit you hard before that benefit or were, were you worried about the business before that benefit um, we did have to close, so we couldn't see, couldn't have people at all. But um, to the 
credit of the government, and during that time, we were having a, a restaurant license uh, with a primary service authorization, which means you can come and drink without eating, which is an old style liquor license, which um, they don't put give out anymore. Um, but we couldn't ever sell takeaway alcohol. Um, the government um, re- relaxed that rule and, uh, and and didn't reinstate it. So we're now selling um, takeaways as well. So it's just been, you know, they've looked at a lot of, you know, cumbersome limiting laws and changed them and uh, things have really gone well because of it. <laughs> it, it's a story I've heard a few times that, you know, all of these things, the government takes forever to make any changes. And uh, one of the benefits of COVID is that they tried some things quickly and the world didn't come crashing to, uh, you know, crashing down. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it was a, I've, I've you know, been a licensee for a long time, but I've always thought how strange it was that you, you could, uh, you know, drink on premise, you know, I'm going to say as much as you want, which is not quite true, but um, you couldn't take one home. <laughs> just, you know, it was just, it was a strange law and now you can, so that's, that's good on them. Yeah, well, there's something very similar in Queensland and it's, you know, the, the, the people with hotel licences are vehemently against breweries selling for a whole range of reasons, but uh, I, mean, I think we'd do another whole podcast on that. Yeah, you could. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's a sign of things to come and, and they... Going to get rid of a few more uh, cake berries. <laughs> Here's hoping, and uh, you know, ho- hopefully the industry association can uh, keep lobbying for that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, terrific. Well, Cameron James, thank you very much for this conversation uh, about beer, and uh, yeah, looking forward to having a conversation over a beer with the, uh, you very soon. You too, Matt. Thanks for having me. And that was Cameron James. I should add as a little postscript. Cameron is an avid listener to the podcast, and that's not why we got him on. But he did reference a series of chats we've had on the podcast about charity beer and accountability. He told me that because both he and his business partner, Ben, lost their dads to brain cancer, and both of their dads had fondness for dark beer, the brewery donates a dollar a litre of their porter to brain cancer research as a straight donation without any fuss. And I thought that was a really cool thing to do. I've put a link in the show notes if you want to uh, chip in some money um, or do what I'm now planning to do. Head down to Barrel and check out the brewery and maybe make a donation over the bar. Um, And when I visit, I'll also be presenting Cameron with his Yeti Rambler mug, exclusive to guests on the podcast. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cry Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cry Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud sponsors of the Radio Brews News Network and this beer is a conversation. And we are appreciative of that sponsorship. 